Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevsham, co-host of the Russian-Ukraine War Report podcast. And today, September the 21st, 2023, it's been 3,495 days since Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea on January the 27th, 2014, and one year and 210 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine. Today's podcast looks back at yesterday's events, and Zarina Zabrisky, executive producer and co-host, will join me today. You can use a Russia-Ukraine war map to help you visualize the areas discussed today. You can find a link in the podcast's description. The Russia-Ukraine war report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense and the Ukrainian General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine morning reports, operational commands north, south and east of Ukraine, open source intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission – the truth. Because the truth matters. Let's start with the daily assessment. The Russian Ministry of Defense remained in a chaotic state, incapable of creating mission cohesion between penal units, mobics, conscripts, elite forces and proxy forces. At the direction of President Vladimir Putin, the Russian government is in the largest purge of dissident voices and perceived internal enemies since the Soviet era, including the leaders, mercenaries and employees of PMC Wagner, objective state media journalists and war bloggers, far-right nationalists who want the Kremlin to take more aggressive action in Ukraine, and human rights activists. There remains a lingering possibility of partisan violence within Russia after the killings of Evgeny Prigozhin and Dmitry Utkin. President Putin's stature, both inside and outside of Russia, remains in a weakened state. Russian Chief of Staff Valery Gerasimov and Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu are some of the best allies available for the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense due to the acceptance of systemic corruption, political infighting, waste of military resources and refusal to adapt to the realities within the theater of war. The sought response by Ukraine's allies after Russian aggression on Ukraine's border has further emboldened Moscow to take increasing risks, which could cause a significant international incident. The perceived slow progress of the ongoing Ukrainian offensive, questions about the capabilities of Ukrainian military commanders at the battalion and brigade level, and ongoing anti-corruption measures highlighting the problems within the Ukrainian government are unfairly straining Western support. Western partners are not meeting their promised military training, heavy equipment and ammunition delivery dates, and these continued delays are negatively impacting Ukraine's military capabilities. Despite these issues, the growing number of combat-ineffective and combat-destroyed Russian units has forced commanders to commit strategic reserves meant for a fall-winter counteroffensive into defensive operations. Additionally, Due to declining combat potential, Russian commanders are activating the reserves from the second and third echelons of the Prigozhin and Surovikin lines. 
In our assessment, Russia will attempt to destroy Ukraine's energy infrastructure over the fall and winter. Finally, while the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, the threat should be taken seriously. Today's action report starts in the Kharkiv region. Kharkiv Oblast Administrative and Military Governor or OVA Oleg Sinyahubov reported that on the night of September the 20th, 21st, the city of Kharkiv was hit by six Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack. In the Slobitsky district, a factory and an adjacent warehouse were damaged. Igor Terekhov, the mayor of Kharkiv, reported three civilians, including a pensioner, were wounded in the overnight attack. The number of people killed due to the September 19 Russian airspace forces of KS bombing of the frontline city of Kupiansk jumped to eight, with rescues finding two more bodies in the rubble. The deceased were volunteers at an assembly area for residents who had requested evacuation due to the continuous Russian attacks. Moving to the Donbass, we start with the Solidar and Bakhmut areas of operation, or AO. It's been two months since we've discussed the activity in the Klishivka area, and a lot has changed. Due to new gains by Ukrainian forces, we have renamed the Klishivka operational area to the Svitlodarsk operational direction. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Russian attacks west of Zaitseva and northeast of Andreevka were repulsed. Quick assessment. With Andreevka located on the railroad grade, GSAFU reporting on attack northeast of the destroyed hamlet indicates that Ukrainian forces have advanced past the railroad tracks. In the northeast part of occupied Donetsk, members of the Espanola Battalion, a volunteer unit given special military status by the Russian Ministry of Defense, broke operational security, OPSEC. A series of videos they posted provided additional battle damage assessment in Svitlodarsk, where the Ukrainian Air Force bombed their headquarters on September 16, using NATO-provided JDAM ER glide bombs. The videos showed the targeted building had camouflage netting and weapons were half-buried in the rubble. An adjacent room looked like an operation center with lawn tables, chairs, and remnants of paper records. A third, more graphic video showed three wounded battalion members being evacuated. We'll link to the videos in our daily situation report, and you can subscribe to our Patreon for access to many of the pictures, videos, and resources I discuss. You can find a link in the podcast description, and we offer a 7-day free trial. Next, let's talk about what's happening in southwestern Donetsk. Russian combat potential in the Avdiivka, Marienka and Volodar AOs remains exhausted. Russian sources reported Ukrainian offensive operations at Vesela on the landing of the Krasnohorivka plateau and Nyapriyutne on the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border. Russian and Ukrainian sources reported that positional fighting continued in Marienka, 
with no change to the situation. For our returning podcast listeners, a geolocated video showed a Ukrainian first-person view kamikaze drone destroying a Russian tank on, you guessed it, Druzhby Avenue. There have been significant developments in Zaporizhia in the Orihi Vale. Supported by armor, Ukrainian forces breached the second echelon of the Surovikin line, west of Verbove. A heavily edited Russian video showed mother infantry fighting vehicles and striker armored personnel carriers, supported by light infantry, past the static defensives and advancing under heavy fire. Intelligence that was authenticated as we were preparing today's report indicated Ukrainian forces rapidly turned the breach into a gap, taking control of 3,700 meters of the trench, tunnel and bunker network of the 160-meter heights west and southwest of Verbova. Quick assessment. We maintain that Ukrainian forces intend to advance through Verbova as it is the shortest distance to the third echelon of the Russian static defenses at Romanivske. Despite the introduction of up to four Russian brigades of airborne assault and naval infantry, Ukrainian forces were able to advance, securing up to 22 square kilometers of territory in the last three to five days. We maintain that the Ukrainian summer offensive has turned into a fall offensive and is still ongoing. The Russian VKS launched airstrikes on Ukrainian positions in Robotene, while intense fighting continued north and east of Novoprokopivka. One change I've made to the podcast is I won't call out areas where nothing is happening. But I do need to make an exception today. The situation in the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant is stable, with reactors 1 through 5 in cold shutdown and reactor 6 in hot shutdown to provide steam for plant operations. Rosatom and Russian occupiers continued to prevent inspectors with the International Atomic Energy Agency from inspecting reactor the roof areas of Units 1, 2, 5 and 6. Now let's talk about the Black Sea including the countries of Romania and Bulgaria, occupied Crimea and the Mykolaiv and Odessa regions. Starting with the Black Sea, the Project 1239 Corvette hovercraft Samum, which we previously assessed had been damaged by a Mach 5 Sea Baby uncrewed surface vessel on September 14, has been moved to the 13th ship repair plant in Sevastopol. The Samum reportedly won't be repaired until January 2024. Off the coast of Romania, the Turkish-owned Togolese-flagged bulk cargo ship Siama, heavily damaged by a suspect sea mine, had to be towed to Muzura Bay in Romania and beached to prevent the vessel from sinking. Pictures showed the 2,350-ton vessel down at the stern. On the morning of September 20, an explosion at the engine room ruptured the hull. One crew member was wounded in the blast. Romanian officials have neither confirmed nor denied the vessel struck a sea mine. A criminal investigation has been opened for the, quote, destruction or damage of a ship or its cargo and the placement on a ship of a device, object or substance capable of destroying the ship.
Unquote. It was a very busy day in the temporarily occupied Crimea Peninsula. In a joint special operation of the Security Service of Ukraine, or SBU, the Air Force and the Navy of the Ukrainian Armed Forces, the Black Sea Fleet Alternate Command Control and Communication Headquarters at Verkhnyo Sadove was hit by multiple Storm Shadow cruise missiles. The main defense intelligence directorate of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or UR, spokesperson Andriy Yusov, said that the intelligence service confirmed that the Black Sea Fleet Command officers were at the base at the time of the strike. The Russian Ministry of Defense reported that Ukrainian drones attacked Yevpatoria, Simferopol, Sevastopol, Jankoi, Saki, and Novofedorivka. A prominent Russian mail blogger called it the largest drone attack on occupied Crimea ever. Occupation officials claim that 19 drones were shot down without incident. These are the same officials who insisted the Samum was undamaged, the submarine Rostov-on-Don was repairable, and today's strike at Verkhnesadova was a gross fire. At the time of recording, the SBU reported that 12 more drones had targeted the Saki military airfield. We have not completed our battle damage assessment. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. It has been a challenging week in Free Kherson. The heaviest artillery barrages since November's liberation continued, with Kherson Oblast Administrative and Military Governor, or OVA, Oleksandr Prokudin, calling it a terrible night. Russian forces conducted 126 fire missions, firing 604 artillery rounds, incendiary munitions, mortars, grad rockets from multiple launch rocket systems, indirect fire from tanks, drone-delivered IEDs, and UMPK glide bombs. My co-host Zarina Zabrisky, currently on assignment in Kherson, said, quote, Last night was very loud with close to 80 strikes. Anton Kerechenko of Ukraine Animal Rescue called the artillery barrage relentless. Two civilians were killed and four were sent to hospital due to Russian artillery intentionally targeting civilians and civilian infrastructure. West of Kherson, at the mouth of the Dnipro River, Izumis was shelled with thermite, sparking fires that destroyed multiple businesses and three homes. The Russian VKS dropped nine OMPK glide bombs on Mykolaivka, Tyarinka and Odradokamyanka. There was a lot of activity in western and central Ukraine. Debris from an intercepted Russian cruise missile struck a hotel in Cherkasse. The Cherkasse oblast of Igor Taburets said 23 people were trapped in the rubble, with 10 injured, one critically. At the time of recording, search and rescue operations were ongoing. A Russian cruise missile struck critical infrastructure and a gas station in Rivne, knocking out electricity and water. Rivne Oblastova Vitaly Koval said that engineers were evaluating the damage and working to restore power. Lviv was attacked for the second time in three days. 
Ihor Zinkevich, member of Lviv City Council, reported that three cruise missiles hit the Drohobych region. Two struck an industrial facility and the third hit a warehouse, causing a fire. Kyiv experienced the largest missile attack since August the 15th. Up to 20 cruise missiles targeted to Kyiv region with debris causing damage and injuries in the Darnitsky, Svetoshinsky, Shevchenkivsky and Holosiyevsky districts. Kyiv mayor Vitaly Klitschko said that in Darnitsky district seven people were wounded with three hospitalized, including a nine-year-old girl. A vocational school was hit with the students taking shelter before the attack. In the Svetoshinsky district, power was knocked out and a gas pipeline was ruptured in Shevchenkivsky district, with check valves preventing a fire. In the Holosiyevsky district, windows were blown out of a five-story building. A Pepsi bottling plant and distribution center was heavily damaged in the Kyiv suburb of Vishneva. There weren't any reported injuries. Here are the major events in Russia. In the Voronezh region, a Su-34 multi-role fighter plane crashed due to a mechanical issue near Kashira. The crew was able to eject, but the airframe was a total loss. We'll link to the pictures in our situation report. North of Lake Baikal in the Irkutsk region, the dispute over the Dulisma oil field has become an armed standoff. The armed man who took over the facility last week dug trenches across the only access road, preventing the Ministry of Internal Affairs from reaching the compound. Russian state media reported a battalion of 400 armed fighters had assembled nearby and were prepared to storm Dulisma. The Ministry of Internal Affairs cut power and water to the facility, and the oil fields has been offline since the armed takeover. The standoff was caused by an ownership dispute, with the previous owner sending a mercenary unit of more than two dozen armed men, who roped in from helicopters to take control. Russian Mir on full display. Let's talk about important theater-wide events. Russia launched 43 cruise missiles from 10 Tu-95MS strategic bombers west of Engels military airfield, with 36 intercepted by Ukrainian air defenses. Colonel Yuri Ignat, spokesperson for the Ukrainian Air Force, said the attack came in multiple waves and from multiple directions. Ukrenergo reported that energy infrastructure was targeted across Ukraine, with power knocked out to 398 settlements in Rivne, Kyiv, Dnipropetrovsk, Kharkiv and Zhytomyr oblasts. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky addressed the United Nations General Assembly, warning that a continued soft response to Russian aggression has global implications. Quote, While Russia is pushing the world to the last war, Ukraine is doing everything so that after the Russian aggression no one in the world dares to attack any country. War crimes must be punished, deported people must return home, and the occupier must return to his land. We must unite to achieve this." End quote. The permanent UN representative of the Russian Federation, Vasily Nibinza, interrupted the chairman of the UN Security Council four times, trying to disrupt Zelensky's speech. 
Nebenza complained that Zelensky shouldn't be the first speaker of the day. Albanian Prime Minister Ede Rama, who chaired the meeting, told the Russian representative, quote, There is such a solution if you agree. You stop the war, and President Zelensky will not have to speak at all. End quote. During his speech, Zelensky criticized the UN for its waning stature on the global stage. Quote, Russia has killed at least tens of thousands of our people and made millions of refugees by destroying their homes. The majority of the world recognizes the truth about this war. This is a criminal and unprovoked aggression of Russia against our nation, which aims to seize the territory and resources of Ukraine. We have to admit, the UN is at a dead end regarding aggression. Humanity no longer relies on the UN when it comes to protecting the sovereign borders of nations. United States Secretary of State Antony Blinken told the General Assembly, quote, Putin is betting that if he continues to increase the level of violence, if he wants to cause enough suffering to enough people, the world will surrender its principles and Ukraine will stop defending itself. But the Ukrainians do not give up. The United States, together with its allies and partners, will not stand aside from aggression, but will oppose it, as well as all attempts to undermine the order based on peaceful rules. Sidebar. Secretary Blinken. Atacams? F-16s? Please. Faster. Spain announced a new military aid package for Ukraine that includes armored personnel carriers, anti-aircraft systems with munitions, military trucks, ambulances, and inflatable boats. Specific details were not provided. The Pentagon's chief procurement officer, Bill Laplante, confirmed our earlier report that the United States will increase 155mm ammunition production faster than expected. By 2025, annual production will reach 100,000 per month. Currently, two factories are producing 28,000 shells a month, and by spring 2024, the number is expected to climb to 57,000. The Ministry of Defense of Ukraine is negotiating with DOKING and Way Industries to license the production of demining equipment. Colonel Oleg Shuvarsky Deputy Head of the Main Department of Mine Action, Civil Defense and Environmental Security of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, said during a press briefing that Ukraine wants to start production of the MV-10, Bozhena-4 and Bozhena-5 systems. Shuvarsky added that Ukrainian engineers were creating additional solutions, calling the effort a work in progress. We updated the table of Russian versus Ukrainian equipment losses using information from the Oryx data on September the 20th. You can access that information by becoming a Patreon. The link is in the bio. And that's what happened on September the 20th. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all. Now, let me turn the podcast over to our executive producer and my co-host, Zarina Zabrisky, who's reporting from Free Herson. Hi, my name is David Obelt. I'm the Chief Content Officer for Malcontent News. Due to technical issues on our end and the relentless attacks by Russia and Free Herson, where Zarina is on assignment, we could not get her podcast out yesterday. We're including two segments of it today. Internet power was out, audio quality isn't the greatest, and I deeply appreciate your understanding. Thank you for listening. 
I'm Zarina Zabriski and I'm speaking to you from Kherson. It is 7:30 p.m. on a Tuesday night and it is eerie quiet, almost creepy. The city on the liberation day shining with yellow and blue flags and tears of joys now reminds me of Pripyat, a ghost town next to Chernobyl. Our crew is staying in an amazing mansion. The view is stunning. Only you can't come to the window in the dusk and you certainly don't want to go for a walk because only a couple of blocks away there is the Dnipro River. Across the river there is enemy. It is better now. We stopped by this house before in spring 2023 and there was a Russian sniper sitting in the bushes across the river. Now the Russians had to retreat a bit, but they still pummel the city with shells, cluster bombs day and night around the clock. This morning a trolley bus was hit and a policeman nearby was killed. Several people were injured, two hospitalized, and this evening we got the report that one of the injured died. Yet people are here. A few cafes are open and serve the amazing food, the cheesecakes to die for, literally. A few stores are cardboarded, but you can buy all the basics. And the most amazing people are still staying in Kherson after nine months occupation and almost a year of shelling, an ecological disaster after the Novokakhovka dam explosion. I will be speaking to some of them and bringing you their stories. I want to start with a brief and heroic tale of two men who could have influenced the outcome of the war. Alexander Guz and Ivan, who prefers to keep his last name off the record for safety reasons, are local people's deputies in Bilozerka. Bilozerka is Alexander and Ivan organized the local resistance when the full-scale Russian invasion began. As the invasion advanced rapidly, they recognized the need to build fortifications. Their village, Bilozerka, occupied a crucial position on the road to Mikolaev, a vital seaport city with just two asphalt routes to Mikolaev from Kherson. The bridge in Bilozerka became a critical strategic point. Alexander and Ivan rallied their fellow Bilozerka residents to build fortifications using whatever materials they could find. Old tires, tank hedgehogs, window frames, disused trucks, and spare vehicle parts. They dug trenches using an excavator. In an unexpected move, they dumped excrements into the swamp to create an additional obstacle symbolizing their determination and saying how much they despised the invaders. To disorient the Russian aggressors, they plunged the town into darkness by cutting off electricity, giving Ukrainian military in nearby village of Oleksandrivka an opportunity to regroup and strategize. Simultaneously, under General Marchenko's leadership, 
the defense of Mykolaiv was organized and halted the Russian advance to the south. Putin's ultimate goal was to reach Odessa and then expand into Transnistria. The resolute stand for 20 days proved critically important. Yet fear eventually drove a less resolute local resident to bridge the fortifications, allowing Russian forces to enter Belazerka. On the same day, Ivan and Alexander organized the protest in the town square with residents chanting, Belazerka is Ukraine. Alexander, he was detained by Russian military. He endured severe tortures, suffered in broken ribs, kidney and chest injuries, and facial bruising. His wife faced threats of sexual violence. The Russian military told her to go back home when she came to inquire about her husband. They said, bake funeral piroshkis. Meanwhile, the Russians told Alexander, you will tell us everything. Otherwise, we will rape your wife with a spade handle. Later, the Russians took Alexander to the Kherson administration, known as the White House, but ultimately released him. After two weeks, he was arrested again, subjected to further torture. They tied him up, strangled him with a bag over his head, and then hung him by his hands with a rope around his neck. The same evening, as the Russians let him go home, Alexander and his wife fled to Mykolaiv Oblast using false documents. Ivan managed to escape during the protest, evading, pursued by armored vehicles and gunfire. He put his wife and his three children in the car and drove through the town and across the fields. An experienced hunter, he knew every path in the vicinity and made it to the Ukrainian-controlled territory. Many friends who remained in the area are now missing. This is the story of two civilians from a small village, not just leading their community in a resourceful defense against the Russian invasion, temporarily halted the Russian advance toward Mykolaiv and preserving key Ukrainian ports. And you know what is the most incredible thing about the story? that there are hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians like Ivan and Alexander who are changing the course of the war on a daily basis. It is not the war of the government against government for elites' interests. For Ukraine, it is a people's war. Here, in this country, everyone, from a child to a grandma at the market, are fighting this war together. And this is why I believe Ukraine will win. Ми бажаємо, що Україна переможе да, і дуже скоро, обов'язково і слава Україні. Героям слава. Так. Ukraine has strongly contested a New York Times investigation that suggested Ukrainian forces accidentally bombed a local market in the frontline town of Konstantinovka, Donetsk region, resulting in the tragic death of 17 civilians. The New York Times reported on September 18th that Evidence indicated that September 6th incident in Kostantinivka, previously covered 
by the Malcontent News podcast may have been an accident. This was allegedly caused by Ukrainian missile system firing towards Russian forces from the nearby Ukrainian-controlled town of Drushkivka. Ukrainian law enforcement contradicts this narrative, asserting that the evidence they possess points to the Russian military striking the civilian area using the S-300 complex. They cite identifiable rocket fragments found at the tragedy site as supporting evidence. The Ukrainian Army Strategic Communications Center stated, currently an official investigation is underway, until the completion of which it is worth refraining from speculation and conjecture, because this is actively used by Russian propaganda. Mikhail Podolyak, advisor to President Volodymyr Zelensky's office, emphasized the need to address doubts about Russia's involvement in Konstantinivka attack, as they could lead to the proliferation of conspiracy theories. He stated that Ukrainian investigative authorities would provide answers regarding the incident once their work is complete. The New York Times report drew from various sources, including witnesses, findings in Konstantinovka, video footage, and local anonymous telegram channels. Now, let's discuss this. While I am not an expert on missiles and airstrikes, I am well-versed in information warfare when analyzing a potentially manipulative piece. It's critical to consider the publication date, sources, as well as the publication's reputation. First and foremost, the timing of the New York Times article is significant. It coincided with President Zelensky's arrival in the United States and his speech at the United Nations Assembly. This timing raises questions about potential ulterior motives. The article's headline, Evidence Suggests Ukrainian Missile Caused Market Tragedy, quote-unquote, cleverly shifts the focus away from Russia's war of aggression, reviving one of the Kremlin's most persistent narratives that Ukrainians, quote-unquote, bombed Donbass. This narrative has been repeated incessantly over the past nine years, even becoming a dark joke among Ukrainians. Another favorite Kremlin narrative is Ukrainians are bombing themselves. As someone who reported from Donbass and spoke to eyewitnesses on bombing sites, I can attest to the unreliability of such sources when it comes to identifying the weapons and attackers. Local residents, some of them, have even claimed that they were bombed not by Ukrainians or Russians, but by Americans or even aliens. Tragically, these opinions reflect the result of Russian brainwashing and nine years of living in inhumane conditions. I spoke to a lady in Siversk who was sitting on the smoking ruins of what used to be her hometown, telling me that there's no war going on and what we see around is the result of training. Regarding the findings... As noted by Alexander Kovalenko, the military analyst, the claim that a 9M38 missile was used is questionable. 
This conclusion is drawn from the cube-shaped destructive elements found at the market, similar to those used in 9M38 missiles. However, these same elements are also used in S-300 air defense missiles. Kovalenko writes, what's most interesting in the New York Times article is the version involving precisely a 9M38 missile. The quote-unquote professionals draw the conclusion that it was precisely a missile launched by the Buk-SAM from the fact that the destructive elements with which the local market was literally pierced are cube-shaped, exactly the same as those used in 9M38 missiles. An exciting detail at the first glance. But I wonder why New York Times quote-unquote professionals failed to mention that exactly the same striking elements are also used in the S-300 air defense missiles. Kovalenko provides a photo of an unexploded warhead of one of the S-300 missiles that crashed in Mykolaiv in his article on Medium. He also writes, two independent military bomb disposal experts who asked to remain anonymous so they could speak candidly, according to the New York Times, came to the same conclusion and said that the fragments and damage are most consistent with an NM-38. I, says Kovalenka, never hide my name or face when I make my statements. Moreover, Ruslan Leviev, who put forward the AGM-88HAARM version doesn't hide his either. But New York Times offers us no names, writes Kavalenka. As for the video footage, it is another point of contention. Without delving into technical details, I refer you to Ryan Macbeth's analysis that suggests that the reflection on the roof of a car does not support the claim that a missile came from the northwest, from Ukrainian-controlled territories. Moreover, the assertion that people turning their heads toward a missile's direction is, is questionable, as sound during shelling can be disorienting. In fact, I'm recording this piece as the sounds of explosions in Kherson are shaking the ground, and I will not be able to tell you which direction they are coming from. Lastly, anonymous telegram channels should be approached with caution. They are known to be infested with Kremlin bots and trolls, even targeting reliable pro-Ukrainian channels with constant Russian propaganda attacks. In conclusion, it's essential to consider the broader context, the timing, and the reliability of sources, especially in the complex landscape of modern information warfare. As the investigation unfolds, we must remain vigilant and critical in our assessment of the facts. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.